Welcome to the Encounter Church Message Podcast, where we bring you the latest messages from our Sunday services. To find out more about Encounter or to plan your visit with us, you can find us online at www.encounter.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. We are live. Thank you so much for joining us this morning for our special Good Friday online service. There may be people who are joining live, just jumping in right now, perhaps people who are watching this back later. But whoever you are, wherever you are, and however you are watching this this morning, I want to welcome you to our online service. Thank you so much for joining me. It's a real pleasure to have you with us. Now, um, it's a privilege for me to be able to share with you on this Good Friday morning, this really weird kind of online service. This is the first time and I do hope the only time in my whole life where we are not able to gather in our usual services, excuse me, over Easter weekend. And so I just want to thank you for joining with us. I'm so glad that we can do this online, that we're able to gather in this way, that I have the privilege of still delivering a message to the people part of our church community. Um, And this isn't just a message today. It is still an invitation to join us in prayer and worship. So I hope you are making the most of all the online resources that are available to you right now and staying connected with your friends. If you're watching this right now in 2020, then you understand uh, the implications of the spread of coronavirus and the things that our governments are leading us in to stop that spread to keep us all safe and the impact of that on places of worship. Obviously, we can't gather on what would usually be one of the biggest weekends in the Christian calendar all year. We're not able to actually join together. And so I just want to acknowledge that that brings with it a certain amount of sadness, um, a sense of loss, grief for many people around what we are unable to do as a church at this time of year. But not just places of worship. Of course, families are being hugely impacted right now. And I'm aware of people even in my own world who are unable to even visit their families and join in with the family traditions and customs at home. If you don't live with your immediate family, the travels around restriction and visiting people in their homes are leaving a lot of people right now feeling really isolated and lonely and sad. And I do want to acknowledge that. Even for people for whom things right now are business as usual, you might be lucky enough to have the type of employment that is considered essential. Even some businesses are experiencing an increase in work right now. I was speaking to a friend earlier this week whose business is one of those that is really important. He runs a food agriculture business, so it's certainly essential right now. And he's feeling really, I guess, as confident as ever in his ability to keep that business running and to keep all of the people that work for him employed. And he's not a person who's prone to anxiety or depression, a very happy guy. But he said to me, even me, you know, right now with everything I've got going for me, I still don't like what I'm having to do right now. So at best, what we're facing over this season is uncomfortable, unpleasant. But I know at worst too, that people are really facing quite devastating changes and losses to income and work and employment. Shapes of families are changing as we go through all of this. But you don't need me to tell you how hard all of this is. There's no one who is not impacted at all by what is happening in the world right now. But I'm sure too that you haven't tuned in this morning hoping for a Christian minister to tell you how easy this is if you would just put your faith in Jesus. This is not easy. There is no easy way forward out of this right now. And I want to acknowledge that. And I want to talk about that a little bit today. I do have a message that I hope is hopeful for you. It's certainly a word in season for the church and for the community with everything that we are facing right now. But it is not an easy message. It is not an easy lesson. 
But it is a powerful lesson that I want to share today, and it's one that I'm calling the power of surrender. I'm taking this lesson from a night in the life of Jesus where he was facing indescribable hardship. He knew that something very difficult was coming ahead. And his prayer was, if it's possible for me to avoid this, then let's do that. And I'm sure many of us can relate to that right now. The sense that if we can avoid all of this trouble, can we please do that? But knowing there's nothing we can really do to stop the tide of what is happening around us right now. So we're going to have a little look at this story in the life of Jesus together. You know, uh, when I think of Jesus, like many of you, I think of his public ministry. The last three-ish years of his life where he was ministering sort of on this traveling tour around Israel and around the Middle East where he was sharing the good news of his gospel. He traveled with the disciples that he was training in his ways. And he was, in many respects, a high-profile prophet. Everywhere he went, crowds would gather. They were drawn to his teaching. You know, I was thinking about this this morning, the fact that even as a baby, Jesus drew people. He had this gift on his life because of the God that lived in him, that drew people in. So even as a baby, before he'd uttered a single word, we see wise men and shepherds coming to visit him in the manger, which I think is amazing. And it really set the pattern for the ministry of Jesus that was to follow when he became a man. And so we see as he's traveling around, crowds gathering by the thousand to come and listen to his teaching. Word got out that he was performing these healing miracles and people who needed healing wanted to come and receive a physical help from this man. And so he was a high-profile prophet. We see on hillsides thousands of people gathering, even for days at a time, that they would come and listen to him. There's this one story that actually appears in all four of the Gospels. That's the first four books of the New Testament, the recollections of Jesus' life as they're written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of them record this one story. It's the only story that appears in all four Gospels. And it's the feeding of the 5,000 people, this miracle of multiplication that Jesus does to feed a crowd that had gathered. And the reason he needed to feed them was because they had stayed so long to hear his teaching and to receive his ministry that they actually risked collapsing from exhaustion on the way home if he sent them home without first feeding them. So God was a very, uh, Jesus was a very public minister. And, you know, I mentioned these 12 disciples that he traveled with. So even after these meetings, as he's traveling along, you can imagine ministering or talking and being present with these huge crowds for hours and sometimes days on end. He must have been so tired. And if I was Jesus, I would just want to go home and have a quiet meal and go to sleep in my own bed. But Jesus was traveling with these 12 disciples. So when the meetings were finished, dinner was a party of at least 13. And if you've ever had 12 people over for dinner, you will know how hectic that was. As Jesus and his disciples traveled around, there are many accounts that suggest that Jesus was in the habit of eating meals, lunch, dinner with people that he'd only just met in these towns that he was visiting, very socially engaged. And he would stay in the homes of people who were his supporters. So I'm sure that the dinners were dinners of 13 plus. It's the host families as well as there are stories in the Bible that suggest sometimes the disciples, families and mothers were there with them. It was a party every night. And even when he went to sleep, Depending on the size of the host family's home, I'm sure he would have been sharing even his sleeping quarters at times. 
I think we can all relate to that a little bit in a world where our lives are really defined by our relationships to others. And we're certainly being confronted with the reality of our dependence on our social relationships right now, when the fabric of those relationships is being changed so significantly. But even for Jesus, this great lover of people, this night, the story that I particularly want to focus on today is the night that he was arrested and we see that Jesus, when facing hardship, understood the importance of solitude. So on this night, it's recorded um, also in the Gospels, Jesus had been at one of these famous parties of 13 with his disciples and they'd actually um, organised to celebrate the Passover feast together. Now, Jesus was, of course, a Jewish person. He was raised in the Jewish faith. And so the Passover is very, very similar to what we celebrate now as Easter. In fact, it's kind of regarded as the foreshadowing, like the pattern for the Easter celebration that we have now. And what they did is they would share a special meal. It would, the foods were kind of prescribed and the customs that they would do, the songs they would sing, the order that they would eat their food. It was all designated to help them remember a time when God had delivered the Israelites he had protected them from a curse that was upon the Egyptians so that he might bring them out of slavery and make them a people and a nation of their own. And it's really similar to the way we remember at Easter time, the way that Jesus's blood protects us from the curse of sin and protects us for the payment of the wages of sin, which is death, and that he has called us out to become a people of his own. So on this night, they're having this really important, beautiful celebration together as a group of 13, well, at least 13, eating together the Passover feast. But because Jesus was the son of God, he understood the mind of God. And he knew that God's purpose in him was not just for him to come and have this social ministry for the three years before he died and to attract these crowds, but there was a greater purpose at place, which was actually the redemption of all mankind from then until now and beyond. And so Jesus understood that what had been foretold many, many years ago by the prophets was about to be fulfilled through his death. He understood that the time for his death was approaching. And so as you can imagine, as he's sitting there sharing this feast with his friends, this truth begins to weigh on him. And he starts to give the disciples some hints about what is to come. He's trying to prepare these people that he loves for the fact that the end of this part of his ministry is coming and it's coming quickly. And so this is where we see him break the bread and say, this is my body broken for you. And where we see him pour the wine and he says, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. The disciples did not understand, but we do. And we call this the last supper. And actually it's also the very first communion that we still celebrate today as Christians some 2000 years later. So as the meal progresses, we see Jesus start to give these hints out. And I get the sense that this truth is beginning to weigh on him. The reality of what is being asked of him in the days to come is beginning to be confronting to him and actually wearing on his soul. And so at the end of this supper, Jesus says to his disciples, let's get out of here for a while. He needs to get out of the party atmosphere. And actually they go out for a walk into the quiet of the evening and Jesus takes them to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. So with all 12 of his disciples, Jesus enters this garden. And you can find this in the book of Matthew. I'm reading from chapter 26 today. It says in verse 36, 
Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, sit here while I go over there to pray. So we see already Jesus has gone from the party atmosphere of the upper room into the garden with his 12 friends. And now he's retreating further. He's saying, you stay here while I go and pray. But from there, he doesn't leave all of the 12. He chooses three to go with him. It says he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. So he's chosen from the 12, the three that are closest with him, to come and support him on this next part of his prayer journey this evening of his arrest. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to these three close companions, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So from the crowds to the party in the upper room, to the 12 in the garden, to just three in the garden. Knowing what's ahead, there's something in Jesus that says, I have to share my sorrow with these three friends, but the work I now need to do inside myself to be ready to face what is coming, I have to do alone. And even the three now, he leaves where they are and he retreats again, yet further into solitude. In verse 39, we read this, going a little farther, He fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Now when Jesus prays, may this cup be taken from me, he's talking about the cup of death. He's talking about the cup of judgment. He's talking about the pain of death by crucifixion that he knows is ahead of him. And in solitude between his heart And the heart of his heavenly father, the human cry of Jesus' heart is given expression. You know, today, the human cry of your heart might be, if there is any way I can keep my house, if there is any way I can keep my job, if there's any way I can keep my family together, Lord, if there is any way that this crisis can pass by my door and not enter my house, can I please have that plan instead of this one? And friends, I want to tell you that Jesus understands the human cry of your heart because he prayed a prayer just like that. But in solitude, in the garden, as Jesus retreated from even his closest friends and found himself face down before his father, that human cry gives way to a cry of surrender. And his prayer ends with these words. Yet not my will, but yours. You see, when the human cry is superseded by a cry of surrender, surrender of your wants and your will to the will of the Father, there's an exchange that takes place. We let go of control. We let go of the illusion of control. And in its place, God gives us the inner power, the fortitude to face whatever is coming. And, you know, I really believe that this pattern that Jesus lays out for us as he retreats further and further into the garden, ending up in solitude with God, it shows us that that kind of prayer, that kind of cry of surrender emerges best in solitude. It wasn't a cry that he could make amongst the crowd or amongst the 12 or even the three. It was a cry that came out once he had expressed that human cry to God for please, anything else but this. One-on-one with his father is where that cry of surrender was able to emerge. And I believe that's true 
for us today. Yet not my will, but yours. This is a cry that we can find in solitude. So what an unlikely gift we are experiencing right now. As we experience solitude to an extent that we would never have experienced it were we not forced to. And I want to say this respectfully, I can't imagine how difficult it must be to be living alone right now. I'm not expecting you to be grateful for the fact that you feel isolated or lonely and I'm not at all trying to diminish what you are going through. But inside that forced solitude, there is a gift. There is something that God is calling us to. This type of prayer that is just between your heart and the heart of God that you now have an opportunity to experience like you've never experienced before. You know, this season two will pass and we'll soon be back with our threes, our twelves, our crowds. But I believe there's something powerful that God is wanting to remind us and call us back to during this season. Seeds of something to come that he is planting right now while we are socially separated. Many of you would know that my main profession is actually teaching music. I teach music actually to very young kids, starting right from six months old. And something that I've discovered in my classrooms is a really useful tool is teaching a concept by teaching a song. So by the time the kids have learned the song, they've learned the concept and it's just a lot easier to teach that way. It does work for adults too, but little kids are way more likely to join me in singing. And so I was reminded of this song that I developed in my classroom years ago that I call Grow, Grow, Grow. And I developed this song to teach the first three notes of the major scale, Do, Re, and Me. And you might be thinking, hey, Aston, Maria Von Trapp already got you covered on that one. But actually, this is even more simple than that. But I was reminded of it this week because I teach the concepts, but also like to include a lesson about nature or from nature in the songs that I develop. So this one is about a seed growing. And the verse says this, When a seed falls to the ground, it has to leave its tree. Say goodbye to the sun and goodbye to the leaves. It feels like the end, but it's just the beginning. It's got to let go before it can grow into a tree. And then I invite the young students to sing with me the chorus. It goes like this. Grow, 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 grow. Once they know how to sing it, then I invite them to play it with me. This is our three notes. Me, re, do, re, me. Now that's a free lesson for you today. You're welcome. But what I um, was thinking about with that this week is that while I'm teaching the students a lesson about nature, for me as a person of faith, God's nature is always revealed through his creation. And I see with the regeneration of plants and how he has designed that system, the gospel message is being proclaimed. That what feels like an end is actually just a beginning. You know, Jesus' victory came from his surrender, even to the point of death. The pain of the crucifixion, the betrayal, it's hard for us even to think about. Imagine for those disciples who had given up everything they knew, their professions, their families, they'd left their homes to go on this traveling tour with Jesus for a period of some years. They put all of their faith in this man, bringing about a political revolution is what they expected. And instead, they now have a dead saviour on the cross. They would have believed it was all over. In fact, in the book of Daniel, the prophet says that when the shepherd is struck, the sheep would scatter. And in a fulfillment of that prophecy, we see at the cross, the disciples are nowhere to be found. 
they believed it was over. And at the foot of the cross, I love this image. There's three women there to look after Jesus. We sometimes call them the three Marys. It was Mary, Jesus's mother, Mary Magdalene, whose life Jesus had radically changed through his ministry, and Mary, a mother of two of the other disciples. And it's these three Marys who are left to deal with Jesus's body and prepare it for burial. It seemed over for good. And it feels like the end, but it's actually just the beginning. Because just as the seed must fall from the tree and leave everything that had sustained its life up until that point and be buried for a period of time in the ground before something new could be birthed, so Jesus had to come down from that tree and lay in the ground for a period of time, only to be raised three days later as the saviour of mankind. Friends, on this Good Friday, in the middle of this coronavirus isolation where you are facing solitude, loss, fear, isolation and all the rest of it, if you would let your human cry give way to a cry of surrender, yet not my will but yours, Father, then your Sunday is coming. We know that Jesus did not remain in the ground. Rather, he rose victorious. And with him, we too are resurrected. And by that, I mean we have access to the resurrecting, life-giving power of Jesus. But we must first be willing to surrender. There's a psalm. It's actually the first psalm that you find in the Bible. And it describes the life of a righteous man. And it says that a righteous man is like a tree that is planted by streams of living water and it bears fruit in and out of season. Whatever this man does prospers. And, you know, I think about that today and I I think what is a righteous man but a man who has decided to surrender his own ways to live the God way for his life. And this is what righteousness will bear in your life. It will make you like a tree planted by streams of living water. When it says that this man's life bears fruit in and out of season, it means he does well even when it doesn't make sense for him to do well. And if we would surrender, you can be like this righteous man, like a tree, a strong tree bringing life to the world around you. You know, it's not an accident that the seed falls to the ground. It's no accident that Jesus died on the cross. This was actually God's design. It had to be an end to one thing so that a new thing could begin. Jesus' death was designed by God as a fulfillment of the old covenant. If he did not die, he could not fulfill it. He could not complete it. He couldn't end it so that a new covenant full of grace that invites you and me to live in relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ could begin. All of this came about because of the end to an old thing, the death of Jesus And then with his resurrection, a new thing began. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, one of the last things he said before he breathed his final breath were these three words, it is finished. And when Jesus said those words, those words that scattered the disciples, thinking it was all over, it was actually the beginning of the greatest story ever told the redemption of all of mankind. And church, I believe that right now, as we are facing this weird time of isolation and social separation, that there are seeds being planted in your life, that in years to come, we will reflect upon this time as a time that gave birth to these strong trees of our future, 
that give life to the world around us and that bear fruit in and out of season, that whatever we do, these seeds that are growing, they are going to prosper, but it starts with a prayer of surrender. We cannot control what is going on, but we can release our control to a God who is not caught by surprise by everything that is going on. None of this is an accident. God has your life in the palm of his hands. Sometimes you've got to get alone with God to remember that his ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts and his reach is greater than your reach. So would you surrender to him this morning? Church, I'd love to pray for you today. If you would join with me. Maybe just close your eyes where you are right now and centre your heart on God. So God, today, we do not fear letting go and we actively release right now a hold on the things which we cannot control. We release our hold on a desire for the plans B, C, D and E, God, and we surrender them to you and say, not my will, Father, but yours. And God, I pray for everyone who has heard these words today and feels a stirring in their spirit, that they would know this is your spirit whispering that something new is coming. And that you would do a new thing, God, if only we would let go of the old thing. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. To stay in touch with Encounter, follow us on Instagram at encounter.cc or find us at Facebook at encounter.shepparton.